Hi, I'm Kyle Dyer, and welcome to Colorado Inside Out. On this Friday, November 17th, the Denver City Council passed next year's budget earlier this week, and there was some give and take between the council and the new mayor, Mike Johnson, that ultimately led, led to unanimous approval of the budget. Uh, will there be that kind of give and take at the state capitol starting this weekend with the current special legislative session underway? It'll be interesting. We have some insight from our panel this week. We have Patty Calhoun, founder and editor of Westward. Marianne Goodland, Chief Legislative Reporter at the Colorado Politics. Amber McReynolds, a national expert on voting administration and former Director of Elections for the City and County of Denver. And also Luigi Del Puerto, Editor at Colorado Politics and the Denver Gazette. Colorado lawmakers have come together days before Thanksgiving for this special legislative session to deal with the increasing property taxes we're all facing. Governor Polis called for this emergency session following Election Day when voters defeated Prop H.H. Patty. Well, and I forgot to bring my prop, which would have been a box in case the special session does not work, break this, which is, of course, what Polis did when he announced he was calling the special session after H.H. went down in flames. You know, the stanchions that are going around outside the Capitol right now are not to keep in the legislators, as the legislators, although people might think that. They're actually to protect free speech and make sure cars don't ram into protests. But... We're going to have plenty of free speech, and it could be pretty rancorous as this special session goes on. There isn't really any agreement from the two sides as you go in. I mean, it's exactly why HH failed, which is people want their Tabor refund. People don't want to pay higher property taxes. And there's almost no easy way to make sure those things balance out in a way that taxpayers won't take a big hit come January when we suddenly see just how much our property value increases are also going to increase the property bills. The only thing maybe we'll see something on is what the city council agreed. They pushed the mayor to have some rental help for people being evicted. And that's one of the many tangents that the legislators are going to be thinking about over the next three days. Marianne, you do live literally sometimes at the state capitol. That will be the case this weekend. I expect to be. Yeah, I'm unpacking sleeping bags and meals and you know my 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 jammies, and hoping that I don't have to use any of them. <laughs> um, this is going to be real interesting. And and what I'm watching for is whether or not in between the end of the session back in May and what we will start off with tomorrow, if there's been any lessons learned by both parties and by lawmakers in both parties about how to work together. I, frankly, I'm not hopeful. Um, I've seen the proposals the Republicans are putting out. I've seen um, ideas that are going into the Democrats' proposals. I don't see a lot of, of uh, collaboration. And the governor actually called for a bipartisan solution, but I'm not seeing him really pushing hard on this one either. So. Uh, I think the session will go three days. It, it could go four. Um, could, you know, but you have to have a minimum of three days in order to get a bill through both chambers of the legislature. One of the big questions is, how many bills are we talking about here? Are we talking about one big omnibus bill from the Democrats that has everything from the call in it or most of the things in the call? I think that's unlikely. I think you're going to see a bunch of you know, piece, different pieces, whether it's rental assistance or food and nutrition, which has nothing to do with property taxes, but that's something the governor asked for. Uh, a flat table refund, I think that'll be a separate bill. Um, the, the big issue, of course, is what do they do to property taxes? Do they do value reductions, which was in HH, or do they do changes in assessment, assessment rates? 
Uh, and right now, county uh, assessors all over the state are watching very anxiously because we're under a, a deadline here. By December 15th, they have to have those things finalized so that the bills can go out for 2024. So I think there's going to be a lot of interest in watching what happens to this simply because of what's going to happen to our property taxes. Will they, will they do value reductions? Will they do assessment rate changes? Will they get this task force that the governor asked for, which was actually in a bill back in January, uh, and that bill has been resuscitated and will be introduced tomorrow. So I, this is going to be a very interesting three days. The one thing that I hope it isn't is toxic. None of us want that. Amber. Well, I think, you know, what's interesting here, and in, in Colorado is unique among a lot of states that don't have this option, is voters had the option to weigh in on this topic because we have a citizen legislature, and the voters um, spoke very clearly. It wasn't like it was a, a close uh, situation. So now the lawmakers that work for the people of Colorado have to go and, and do their jobs and figure out a solution. And I certainly hope that... Um, they're able to focus on doing what's right as opposed to fighting about who's right because um, I was in D.C. earlier this week and hopefully they don't take the lead from Congress on how to um, get things done in a productive way. Yeah, we don't need to see any of that behavior here, that is for sure. Correct. Luigi. Well, what's really interesting about this special session is that typically, and what we've seen in previous special sessions in most parts of the country, before you go into a special session, there is an agreement between the governor and the state legislature. Now, never mind an agreement between the parties. There's an agreed legislation ready to go that they've hammered out before they go and convene the special session. So the special session is more or less the formality at that point. They go in, they pass it, they go through the process, takes three days, good to go. Typically, that's how you want to do a special session. That's how you get things done. So I'm a little bit nervous about them going into the legislature and not having a concrete plan. Again, don't. Never mind an, an agreement between the, the Democratic, uh, quite uh, effectively supermajority, and the minority party, just within the Democrats themselves. Have they agreed on a proposal? Now, what we're all hearing, and Marianne hears this the most from among us, is that they like the idea, or there's some uh, support for the idea of potentially freezing that assessment uh, ratio from maybe 2021 for maybe two years. That means they can come back and then do a long-term fix that they can then present in January next year and offer a proposal, offer a, a, a legislation that the governor can sign that is also palatable to the people. Now, you talk about Prop HH losing. I mean, it lost pretty badly. I can't help but think, but our governor won in 2022 by almost 20 points. Prop HH lost by almost 20 points. I did want to make one prediction, which is if a commission comes out of this, Doug Bruce, the father of the Taxpayer Bill of Rights, will not be on it, even though he's requested to be. <laughs> I'm also curious if it's so, if, it, if you're worried it could be so toxic, could we really get something figured out in four days? Oh, yeah. The, I mean, the, 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 the Democrats have the roadmap for doing this. Okay. They did it in the last three days of the session back in May. They just rammed everything through. They shut down debate. They shut down... Uh, you know, any discussion of amendments that Republicans wanted to, uh, wanted to bring, and that led to a, one of the most toxic environments I've ever seen in 25 years at the Capitol. This will be my eighth special session. I, yeah, I went back and counted. It's <laughs> depressing, but yeah. But I, I have some real concerns about what this is going to look like 
come Monday. The, the one thing also that I think they're really disagreeing on is what to do with local government revenue if they, for example, freeze the assessment ratio from 2021. Because that, what that means is that local governments, instead of getting you know, a really big bump in tax revenue, they're still going to get a pretty big bump, and that just not as much. And then the question becomes, is the legislature going to use Tabor refund money to go help the local governments get to a point where they're, quote unquote, happy with what they're going to get? Hmm. All right. Crystal Ball. Well, Marianne will be calling you all weekend. Oh, goody. <laughs> <laughs> all right. On the Tuesday after Thanksgiving, November the 28th, the newly elected Denver school board members will be sworn in. That is not to say that the current board is sitting idle these days. It's anything but Marianne. I'm really fascinated by this lack of, of attention to policy, laws, rules, all these different things that have been going on over the last couple of months. Uh, starting off with holding uh, uh, an, exec an executive session, uh, a closed door session that they had to release because you can't do that. Then you have uh, a board policy that says board members shall not investigate or do their own or do their own kind of research. What did we have? We had two board members and a campaign manager. How inappropriate is that? I'm sorry, no disrespect, but who went into McAuliffe to go see this escalation room in violation of board policy. What I find this to be, this feels to me disrespectful to the board, to the system, and frankly to everyone who works, in, works and follows DPS. You, you've got these rules for a reason. If you don't like them, change them. But don't just do whatever you feel like doing. Now, blessfully, um, some of these folks who have been doing this stuff are going to be gone. Uh, and I'm, I'm just hopeful of seeing a, a calmer and more, a more collaborative uh, kind of DPS board starting a week from Tuesday. Yeah, it has to be, Amber. Yeah, I mean, it's critical. I have, I have two kids in DPS, and, uh, you know, I, I certainly have a lot of conversations with parents all the time about the various issues. So it'll be interesting to see the new board take office and uh, see how they change versus some of the things that, that have been going on with the current board over time. And, and we also saw boards elected across the state. So this is a, you know, there's going to be a broader change in a number of counties uh, coming up. Yeah, this election day was big for school boards, mm -hmm. right? School boards and the property tax. Luigi. Yeah, it's quite interesting. If you're looking across the state, in some areas, the progressives won. In some areas, they lost. And in the Denver Public Schools, presumably they were going to get a, you know, three new members that are, you know, for lack of a better phrase, maybe closer to the center, however you define that center. You know, a lot of the drama that we've seen at the school board, quite frankly, some of that's driven by personality. A lot of that's driven by policy. I mean, there are some serious disagreements within the board about policy among them, public safety for students, how you deal with uh, students, for example, that are in this list um, uh, that they're supposed to watch. I mean, those are serious problems that they have to solve with serious implications, not just for the students, and we've seen that, but really also for the staffers. And you know, presumably, the board maybe will get calmer. I don't know. We'll see that. I mean, we're we're gonna see if in fact that happens or not. 
Yeah, and to see all those parents and the students come out Tuesday morning at McAuliffe because those teachers there, the staff, feel they say picked on by the school board. Well, it's impossible to imagine that it could be more dysfunctional when the new three school board members come in. Um, I have high hopes for John Youngquist, who was a principal at East. He had done an independent study. He was hired to look in the school safety issues this year, so he certainly knows some of the issues there. But even so, when you start hearing more and more revelations of McAuliffe, which DPS decided they would do the investigation rather than hiring an independent investigator, as Marianne points out, DPS had already violated so many rules, they're not exactly the group you feel is going to be even-handed in an investigation. So we can only hope that this board, whether they're reformers, whether they're union, we just hope they're sane. It would be really, really nice to have things calm down. Again, these newly elected DPS board members will be sworn in November the 28th. Speaking of the election that just passed, since we have an election expert with us this week, um, I'd like to go a little bit deeper into the Boulder mayoral election of last week. Aaron Brockett was reelected, but that was not clear at the start of the counting in this Boulder's first ever ranked choice voting election, Amber. Yeah, well, first, um, I want to really uh, give kudos to Molly Fitzpatrick, who's the clerk in Boulder, and the way she went about implementing this and their public education communications, they were swift with the results. Um, and by the way, she just had a baby yesterday, and she ran the election and all of that. And, and honestly, she's a testament to the incredible election officials that do this work. And she's running one of the best counties in the, in the state. Um, they, there's already been an exit poll that was done actually asking people for feedback on their experience using ranked choice voting. 77% liked it and found it exceedingly helpful rather than not having more choice with only being able to pick one candidate. Um, so I think you, you, know, you look at uh, what voters are telling us with their participation in Boulder was actually almost 51, close to 52% turnout. Um, which is higher than some states in a presidential, by the way. Um, and the, the other thing about Boulder that I think is important is that they have a decision on mayor, and it's done. Denver has a runoff process two months later, running another election that costs millions of dollars. So I think this was really a great example of a very successful ranked choice voting election, and uh, the clerk in Boulder and her team has a lot to do with that. Yeah. Yeah. Luigi. I actually just have more questions for Amber. Um, uh, and by the way, that 52% you mentioned in, in a non-presidential uh, election year, in an off election year, that's pretty darn high. I mean, typically in other states, you'll see between 18 and 22%. 25% would be pretty high. So um, what, what, what are the advantages that you saw in, in Boulder's experience when they did um, this, uh, this, uh, this uh, approach to uh, election? Yeah, I mean, they, they leveraged a lot of the national best practices for running a ranked choice voting. So a lot of their communications were very clear with the public on how they could make uh, selections on the ballot. Um, and I think that voter education piece, I can't emphasize enough how important that is. And then they also, because uh, they were one of the first in the state to do this, they developed an, an adjudication guide, meaning how do you determine voter intent, so that you can process and count ballots. And they were exceedingly swift with providing results to the public, which is so important for trust and for people to get a sense of what's happening in the election. So um, all of those things are really, um, to me, make it a standout example. Yeah. Um, a lot of people were looking at Boulder big time. 
I wonder if it's going to end up in Denver and statewide. Who knows? Well, on election night, it was so crazy because the votes were going back and forth. And for a while, it looked like the incumbent was out and that they were going to get a Republican mayor in Boulder, which didn't seem really that likely. I'm like, that would really show that ranked choice voting has changed things. But then ultimately, it came out with where you probably would have predicted the race would wind up. But people had probably felt they had better choices and they had alternatives. And we'll see as we keep looking at the ex. Uh, the exit poll and as people talk about the next election there, what happened. But I don't know, Amber. I'll have to ask you this. What would have happened with 17 candidates in Denver? I mean, how long would it take to to judge that? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the thing about it is, especially when you have multiple people from a party running in an election, or the same party, and Denver certainly had that, people are going to like multiple candidates and they're going to have perspectives about how they think about ranking them and so i think it's a really nice way to expand voters choice in an election process especially when you have a really large number and this is why i think for presidential primaries it's so important because you know you have these big lists of candidates that are participating and you don't want people to lose out simply because someone dropped out or something like that um, throughout the process. So, yeah, that's, I mean, I think this is a good example of a, a very specific use case that our CV can be really positive. What are your thoughts, Marianne, on ranked choice? I'm, I find it really fascinating. Um, this is the first time in, in a long time, maybe ever, that Boulder's at, Boulder voters have actually directly elected their mayor. That doesn't. That seems like such an unusual way of, of doing things. I don't. I don't know too many other communities that have it that way. But I'm kind of wondering. Back to your question about other places going to this. If there are other communities who are going to look at this and say, Hey, maybe the time has come to allow our voters to have a greater say in who runs who runs our city government. And Amber, this week, Senator Bennett kind of with that idea. Yes, well, Senator Bennett has had a bill and he refiled it this week um, to just provide funding to states that want to implement ranked choice so that, you know, that it's done right and there's, there's funding to do that. He reintroduced that bill yesterday. Um, and, you know, it's, it's great to see him doing that because that's really a way that you can empower states and localities to think about these reforms, implement them correctly. Um, so Senator Bennett has been a champion on that, on that for a number of years. Mm -hmm. Just really quickly, Amber, can you just briefly explain what ranked choice vo voting for some of the viewers who yeah. may not have an idea what that means? Yeah, sure. So when you, when you get your normal ballot in, in an election, you're able to choose just one choice. You bubble that in. Um, uh, next to that candidate's name. In ranked choice, you have the option actually to rank multiple people. So if there's five candidates in a race, uh, you can rank maybe up to five, maybe it's the top three, the rules kind of vary depending on the state. But it allows you to say, this is my first choice, this is my second, this is my third. And the interesting thing about it is it actually changes the way you campaign. So we've also seen around the country where this reform has been put in place, it actually penalizes negative campaigning. So, because you want to be, if, if you're not someone's first choice, you want to be their second. So, we've actually seen a decline in sort of the, the super negative campaigning that can occur in a lot of these elections because it doesn't help you to do it. And then the fewest votes, the, the second choice of those voters goes to the first one and, yeah, and so, so on and so forth. Who, what, whoever's in the last place, basically, um, they're, they're, they're essentially taken out and then you take the second choices of those voters, redistribute them, 
so that they're not losing their vote by uh, choosing that last place person, but and their their perspective is being reflected um, for their second and potentially third choice. All right, this was good. Thank cool. you, Amber. Uh, the term disagreeing better is getting a lot of attention these days with Colorado Governor Polis, a Democrat, and Utah Governor Spencer Cox, a Republican, talking about the need to have open, respectful debate while listening and having healthy conflict. Luigi, you were with the two governors this week in Fort Collins where they talked about disagreeing better. Again. Yes, yes so they, they embarked in this, I think, this grand experiment to try and rescue American politics from the gutter or something, or this from a fist fight, right? Something like that. So their idea is that we have big problems in our country and we can solve those problems by disengaging. The only way you solve these problems is through engagement, but there is a proper way to engage. And they're saying the proper way is to disagree better, which means it's not being nice um, and it's not, uh, it's not avoiding uh, the difficult conversations. It's actually going through them but going through them in a way so that you're primarily listening to the other side and your end goal is, is there something we can agree on? And is that enough to solve this problem? And if the answer is yes, can we move forward with it? And so they were in Fort Collins yesterday, they were in Westminster the other day talking about this subject and it, it all sounds very good. It does, meanwhile it's a week, like you were talking earlier in Washington where there are lawmakers just, not acting very statesmanly-like. Well, and we can only hope that here in Colorado, we have our legislators decide they're gonna disagree better. It's a perfect timing for them as they try to zoom through the special session, save Marianne's health, because it could be four very rancorous, troublesome days. But I loved seeing Polis and the Utah governor chatting, debating snow. I mean, there are a few points of argument, but that they could be civil. And I think we've seen a lot of that with governors not every governor, but governors across the country who often are really the CEOs of their states. They know how to get business done. They know how to compromise. They know how to work better than some of the just the blowhards in the halls of Congress. The Missouri and the Kansas governor are doing a similar one, too, where they debate about barbecue and, you know, who are stronger Chiefs fans and all that. So, yeah, Marianne. I, one of the things that I find interesting about this is that I would like to see these governors who are espousing this lead by example. Um, and I'll, and I'll, I'll give an example. When, when uh, our governor goes around and does listening tours around the state, um, what I hear from people who want to go to those things is that they don't get in because they're not on the invitation list. That's not, to me, that's not a way of of listening to the citizens and having that respectful debate or allowing for that healthy conflict if you're only listening to the people who are in your own personal echo chamber. And I would love to see um, our politicians leading by example in this area as ensuring that everyone gets a chance to express their opinions. Yes, I realize that we're living in an extraordinarily polarized situation right now and, and I know what allowing everybody could, to have their say sometimes leads to, but I, there's got to be a way to make that happen without people being at each other's throats. But uh, please, please lead by example. Mm -hmm. Amber. Yeah, and it's um, I you know I love the campaign. I've kind of been paying attention to what they're doing. Um, a lot of election officials are doing similar types of of um, campaigns or education to try to 
bring people together so that there isn't so much division. Um, and I think governors are particularly suited to lead on this because they have to solve problems. Like they're not just fixing the roads for one party. They, they have to make decisions whether it be on national disasters or dealing with any of those sorts of things um, that, that impact the entirety of the population. Congress kind of gets to sort of go in this echo chamber and not have to do anything um, actionable within states and, and it seems like that's where it kind of deteriorates a bit because you know you've got this going on. So I think it's great um, and Utah and Colorado are interesting states to be leading on this because both have similar voting models. Both are in the top for turnout and engagement. So when we talk about trying to, and I talk about this a lot in speeches I give around the country, ways to improve our civic health, I think this stands out as something that could be uh, deeply helpful. And you know, I hope it. I hope it expands. And, and just really quickly, they're they're really pitching two things. One is, you can change things from the individual level, and you can change things from the structural level. And they're saying at the individual individual level. If you're disagreeing with somebody, if you can just suspend your disbelief and just ask, tell me more. What is your idea? Tell me more. And what that signals to the other person is, OK, I'm talking to somebody who's willing to engage and listen to what I have to say. What then happens, they're saying, these two governors are saying, is that it injects a sense of humility into the conversation. The humility that comes from this idea that maybe you don't have all the solutions and maybe you don't have all the right answers. Structurally, the governor, our governor was saying, get all the bills heard like we do here in, in the state. Now, they may go to a kill committee, but they still get the chance to be heard. If you did that in Congress, he said it would help a whole lot. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now it is time for our panel to share each what they see as a, po a positive or a negative for the week. We'll start with a low of the week, so we'll end on a high note. Patty? Well, we see too many sad tr anniversaries here in Colorado. And on Sunday, it's the anniversary of the Club Q shootings. So let's all take a moment to think about the victims. Mm -hmm. Pat. Uh, this morning, a, um, the Ethics uh, Committee in, in the House voted unanimously to recommend that George Santos be, uh, the case of George Santos be sent to the Department of Justice for prosecution. If there's any hope at all for people actually agreeing on something, they all agreed on this one. But um, yes, he, he was using his campaign money for Botox and Hermes and OnlyFans and all, all kinds of things. So I, I suspect that we have seen the end of this particular representative. Amber. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I think just some of the D.C. DC political stuff I would categorize as, as a low. And all, all of it seemed to happen, or a lot of it happened on Tuesday uh, while I was there. Um, and, you know, I think it's just a bad example for our kids. And I, you know, I care deeply about that. And hopefully they can clean up their act and there can be more, uh, more efforts to lead with, with empathy and with courage and and uh, and not the crazy. Yeah. Well, I was hoping to avoid raking all the leaves in my backyard with the ton of leaves that we have. And then I learned that it's going to cost me a ton of money to get somebody to do it. So, yeah. <laughs> and the wind just keeps going, and whatever you rake just blows right yep. away. Don't get it in a bag. Yep. All right. Something good, Patty. Andrew Hill, who is leaving Channel Seven. Mm -hmm. After a great long career, yesterday was Andrew Hio Day. Polis declared it, and I think that's one thing everyone can agree on. She did a great job. She's awesome. 
-hmm. One of my favorite people. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to congratulate the voters of Colorado. The turnout on this off-year election was actually higher than it has been in 19 and in 21. So good on you voters for, for turning in your ballots, even if you didn't understand what was on them. <laughs> <laughs> Amber. I have two things. So turnout being one, but there's actually a couple counties that went down, including Denver. Um, but I want to celebrate the counties that are just standouts. So Mineral had the highest, 60, about 68% turnout, which is about 20 points higher than the state of Texas had for presidential year in 2020. So, um, and then Boulder, 52, I already mentioned, the state as a whole, about 43 overall. Jeffco was by far the outperformer of the four big counties. So they had 47%. They were the fastest and most efficient with their results reporting. And so Amanda Gonzalez, who's the clerk there, is just doing a standout job. Um, so, you know, for, for me, Boulder and Jeffco for sure are standouts. And then the other thing I just want to say briefly, so this month is National Diabetes Month, and November 14th was World Diabetes Day. So um, I always like to flag those things because I think it's important for awareness. And um, and you'll, you might see a lot of the uh, blue buildings and things like that going on right now, and that's mm -hmm. a tribute uh, for National Diabetes Month. Yeah, I get to really quickly. My boy who's been fly fishing, he's 12 now, caught 10 trout. Uh, on Sunday, and he's now officially a better angler than me, so that's great. <laughs> and uh, I do want to give kudos to uh, Governor Polis and Governor Cox for trying to do what they're trying to do. I think that um, will benefit all of us in the end. All right. I am thankful for our panel for joining us this week and those members of the Colorado Inside Out team you don't see or hear each week. This show would not happen if it weren't for this fabulous team we have at PBS 12, and all of us collectively are grateful that you tune in. And speaking of our audience, we recognize, as Patty was mentioning, that there are some who are hurting, especially down in the Springs. It was this weekend last year when those innocent lives were lost at Club Q. Colorado will never forget those lives lost, and we are sending comfort and love to all of those who are having a tough time as we start the holiday season. I am Kyle Dyer. I will see you next week with a special edition of Colorado Inside Out here on PBS 12.